Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to this Friday edition of The Call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests all in the space of one hour. Plus, we will also speak our future fund stock picks. I'm Nadine Blaney, and a warm welcome to those of you watching us live on Twitter and YouTube. We look forward to seeing you as we do this show throughout the week on our website and via the app. We live stream from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. My two expert guests for the next hour, very pleased to welcome June Beilu from Tribeca Investment Partners and Claude Walker from A Rich Life on this Friday. A big warm welcome to you both. Good day. Claude, Great to yeah. be here. How happy are you feeling? Friday. Thank you. I know, Jimbei. Happy Friday. Look, we had some big news, uh, restrictions lifting in a meaningful way, really, it seems, from Monday. Uh, Jimbei, what's your general sense about uh, this whole reopening trade? I mean, we saw the travel names take flight, have pulled back a little bit. Is there a recognition that, you know, we're not going to be taking to the skies anytime really still that soon? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. A lot of reopening stocks sort of have a little bit of pullback, really on the basis of uh, investor taking a, a reassessment of what uh, what is being priced in. Uh, for the travel agents, it's probably still going to take some time. Uh, before Qantas, look, you know, I think the domestic booking is going to pick up significantly uh, very quickly once the borders all, uh, start opening again. So, you know, it's pick and choose at this point, uh, but certainly the sentiment is going to be very positive as we reopen. As we know, New South Wales is a big part of the economic contributor for Australia. Um, you know, it's looking pretty strong heading into Christmas for us. Good. Now, Claude, a, a bit slow on the news flow front from big corporates. We're heading toward AGM season. Has there been a lot of news flow in the smaller end of the market? Uh, well, the big news sort of yesterday evening um, and which is playing out now in the stock market this morning is EML Payments, mm-hmm. which is a company I used to own uh, myself, actually. And it actually uh, made an acquisition of an Irish company a few, uh, actually in 2020. And yeah, that Irish company has not been great for it. Yeah. It's had a, a few little regulatory uh, uh, snafus. But I think what people tend to forget is that you know, money laundering risks are super uh, serious and a company can really end up in trouble and do it like, it, basically, this is a big deal. It's not like a little thing that, like, people are focused on just the slap of the risk of the fine, but actually there's a real problem if your business is on the wrong side of these laws. Now, I've got no idea what's going on with EML, neither does the market, but obviously something's going on because they're having all these discussions about, um, you know, banking laws with the Central Bank of Ireland and, and it seems like, you know, they're going to have to change their ways in some way and uh, yeah, that's that's not cool. No, well, uh, EML, to your point, uh, time stamping this 
just past noon here in Sydney on this Friday, down by 13%. I have a feeling you're going to be doing some work on that one, Claude. We might hear more on it a little bit later on. Let's get to our future fund stock series. So you've heard us talk about this for the past couple of weeks. So our guests have been picking long-term, high-quality stocks that they would buy to put in the bottom drawer to help cover all the future education costs of... Well, in Kashi's case, it's been grandkids. My case, perhaps a bit more uh, geared toward the kids. Claude, you were generous, I think it was last week, with your pick, which was Google. So we'll go to June Bay. What, what would you think uh, would have a pretty good chance of capital return that uh, will be big time in, uh, in a decade or so? Look, these, for these companies, um, I'm going to pick something out of Australian markets, um, uh, even though, you know, we, we're not as diverse in terms of high quality growth businesses compared to the U.S., but still we have a few really strong, uh, you know, uh, homegrown, uh, high growth uh, leaders. So this name we're going to talk to is Prometicus. Uh, it is a global leader now in a very fast growing radiology software and enterprise um, imaging space. Now, this company has won um, something like nine out of 20 uh, top U.S. hospital institutions um, as customers. And uh, as you know, once they win a hospital, they start then growing significantly within that hospital. But they already have top nine out of 20 using their products. Um, and they ha also have a, a, research, a research and development um, sort of collaboration with, uh, um, you know, large institution, uh, uh, a very reputable institution like NYU. Um, and soon they're talking to many new exciting business lines, things like AI, um, that could potentially opening up more um, global opportunities for this business. Um, it also won so many contracts, even during COVID, where many have thought, um, you know, the, the, the earnings might take a, uh, take a step back. So look, it's incredible growth business. It's expensive, but it is something that in a few years time, it won't look any more expensive than some of your local slow growing, uh, growing businesses. Thank you, June Bay. So your pick is ProMedicus. Look, I don't think you're going to disagree, Claude, are you? <laughs> oh, I mean, that is just like music to my ears. Uh, I love I love it when other people recognize the quality of that business. But, you know, full disclosure, another company overtook ProMedicus as my largest ASX shareholding not long ago, and I just had to sell a little bit so ProMedicus could be back at the top. Right. Okay. Good one, Claude. June Bay, thank you for that. That brings this Future Fund stock series to an end, we will make these companies accessible to you, our viewers, uh, if you'd like to take a little bit of a look back. And next week, just as a heads up to you two, Claude and June Bay, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be getting a pick for a potential crash. So a stock that you've got an entry level in mind for in case there is a more significant pullback on markets in the next little while. So there you go to just keep people entertained and informed. Of course, that's what this show is all about. Let's get to some of the companies that have been picked by you. Our viewers, Jumbe and Claude, have done their research. And look, Jumbe, I'll start with you on this first one for Craig. It is Infomedia, IFM. Look, it's in the auto parts and services, but it's software. It's software and it's data. Jumbe, what do you make of Infomedia? 
look, this company has been, in terms of the earning, it's been impacted by um, the covert disruption of, um, you know, inability of selling car parts and things. Um, essentially, it's like a digital catalog for a lot of car parts and automotive industry. Um, so it was heavily disrupted in the first half of last year. And then the second half is since it has actually achieved pretty significant organic growth and come back from, you know, tough um, uh, comparables. Um, and the exit rate at the full year result, it certainly indicates 2020 is going to be a pretty good year for this business. Uh, it's not super cheap. It's over. It's about 23 times on next year's earnings, uh, but it will grow uh, something like a double uh, mid-double-digit sort of growth, um, and it seems mostly organic, and it does have a bit of a uh, sort of tailwind in terms of currency that sort of benefit this company. Um, I would put that on a hold at this point um, because turnaround uh, for this year is still looking like uh, will be probably second half weighted, but it certainly looks very interesting. And it's not super expensive for a growth company that has a reopen, reopening thematic to it. Thank you, Jumbe. So that's a hold for info media from Jumbe. Claude, what about you? I mean, it has done cap raisings, um, you know, looking at acquisitions, uh, but has a pretty, pretty steady recurring revenue base. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, I guess full disclosure up front, um, Infomedia is my favorite company that we're going to talk about today. Okay. Uh, it's just, it has what I look for in uh, business. Now, I don't own it myself, but um, I really love to see software businesses that are globally scalable with high recurring revenue. And Infomedia, whilst it has had its problems over the years, it is, it is those things. And the reason that kind of business model is... Um, good is because it makes that kind of business a survivor. It's, it's very hard to kill high recurring revenue businesses because they can respond to problems um, as they happen and try to keep that revenue going back up and, and fix problems. They've got time, they can see what's happening, they don't get blindsided. And on top of that, um, you know, basically, I think that uh, software is just the best business model because it scales so well. If you can just roll it out to new customers, your, your costs never really go up as much as the actual revenue that you can get. So it, as these companies get bigger, they get more powerful. Now, Infomedia is a really interesting one and it's one of the cheapest sort of decent quality software companies you're going to find on the ASX, generally speaking, because it's had such a checkered history. If you look back, if we maybe we could even look at that five year chart, but basically, you know, if you look at over the years, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride. Um, I think, you know, there's been some uh, misjudgment of the business at certain times and a bit of overexcitement, but this one has not been the kind of long-term, decent, fast, secular grower that you would look for when you generally want to find the best software businesses. Now, having said all that, a lot of what I've just said is arguably historical, and I think we actually come to the stock at an interesting juncture in its story. Now, the reason for this is that the microcat electronic parts catalog business that it that it does that it runs, you know, that's its software offering that helps. Um, people acquire secondhand parts or sorry, replacement parts um, for cars and, and the like, um, that's being turned into what they describe as a powerful part selling platform. And um, the, the menus platform has been substantially upgraded and streamlined to meet our customer needs. And what they basically say in their most recent report is they've just rolled out, you know, what they're calling next gen, I guess their improved products to more than 220,000 users in 186 um, countries across the world. So most of those users are now saying that this makes them more efficient and it's better for their business. So this possibly suggests that they have a new product 
that is better than the old product. Now, if they've been surviving and kind of bumbling along with some wins, some losses over the last few years with their older products that were probably in dire need of an upgrade, they're now saying, hey, we've upgraded our products and our users are saying it's better. That is a qualitative factor that hasn't yet come through in the numbers. Now, we don't know if it's going to come through as an uplift in the business and, and a, a new stage of its growth as a business. We don't know that yet. But at the same time, um, I think that analysts are expecting a modest growth next year. Um, and based on the ne- what analysts are expecting for modest growth next year or decent growth, um, these guys aren't that expensive. I think that they're you know between 10 or 11 and 15 times earnings more or less, and depending on where you land with your estimates. But basically, I don't think it's really punched very... Uh, priced very punchily right for the fact that maybe they've got a qualitative improvement to their um product coming out so for that reason i would argue that the risk reward is in favor and so the to the extent that it is um you know decent and proper to do so i would call this a buy despite not actually owning it myself um but you know it's just i I could actually imagine myself owning this one um it's just not made the cut for my portfolio at this stage but it is interesting i think so but so what are you waiting for? Is it price particularly? Um, yeah, so this thing popped up a little bit. So I was talking about some of those quotes from the recent results. Yeah. Now, what happens is we get this deluge of results and it's really hard to go through them all quickly. And so by the time I'd actually had a look at Infomedia's results, that share price had popped up a fair bit. And, I and you know, basically I'm kind of half thinking that, see, in August they kind of moved up and I didn't yeah. look at it. So I thought, oh, maybe this is one to buy before the results. And anyway, now I'm, I guess what I'd be waiting for would it, for it to come down a little bit. And I have to say, already I think it looks pretty good, to be honest. But mm-hmm. you know, we've got a bit of volatility at the moment. You never know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty fully invested. That's just the truth of the matter, yeah, basically. Yeah. So I have to basically sell something to buy something new. Hence why I don't own Infomedia. Okay, interesting. Thanks, Claude. Um, I let you go because it was interesting and this is your favorite one. So I have a feeling you might be short Sorry. and sweet on some others. No, I'm happy. I'm happy about it. All right, let's get to Sims. This is for Ellen. Junbei for you. Now, we always think of Sims as this metal recycling company. But I was flipping around, as you do, watching TV the other night and watched a really interesting thing on Sims and its e-waste recycling facility in the U.S. Sims has that. It has a a waste to energy plant in New York. I mean, how do you look at Sims? Yeah, it's true though. So Sims does have a green to a green tilt or renewable type of space to it now. Um, previously, it used to be just scrap metal, and then they try to trade them and the like. And but now these days, it is part of that recycling. Um, many businesses do have that sort of facility, and Sims is investing big time into that space. It does have that good tilt to it, uh, but that's yet to be a um, you know a big part of the earnings. Um, quite big part of the earning continue in the trading of the scrap and the trading of the prices oh, oh, and the scrap prices will lead its future earnings um, at this point, certainly. Um, you know, it seems at this point it's probably neutral. Share price has done a lot um, in the last 12 months, um, uh, you know, despite COVID and the like, uh, just simply because the sh- uh, scrap price has turned around very, very quickly. Sims is not a high quality company simply because when I say those scrap prices can move around a lot, when they do move, there's not much Sims can do. So it's earning can move from profitability to losses very quickly and back to profitability. And right now we that we are in that up run. So things has gone 
quite well for the company. Now, the problem is at the moment because uh, iron ore price has come off a lot and scrap prices have shown historically a, uh, a good correlation in terms of trading profits out of the scrap, a good correlation with the iron ore prices. So it certainly seems like Sims earning might be a little bit soft um, heading to the next quarter or so. Um, and, you know, on that basis, you kind of don't want to be in a company like that. Uh, when the earning is turning so mm -hmm. i would avoid it it is a cyclical company so it is an avoid from june bay look i should say claude watching that show on the e-waste recycling they were emphasizing over and over how difficult it is how cost uh, intensive it is and how much the people who make our technology should be making it easier to recycle anyways that's just a thought. That aside, would you ever buy into a company that's as cyclical to Jimbei's point as Sims? Well, I'll tell you what I'd need to want to buy into Sims. I mean, the answer is possibly I'd do anything. I'd never say never in terms of the stock market. But what I would want to see with Sims is really strong government action to actually uh, make businesses like Sims more profitable and thus encourage more people to get in the game which would hopefully have the effect of making sims massively more profitable that's what i'd like to see i think this is good capitalism and the government should be doing more to support this and less to try and subsidize coal mining um and so you know this is actually one of the first businesses i looked at whenever I, when i started investing i think that uh it's it's really uh, important that people do these activities but as junbei said this is a bad quality business. Like over the last 10 years, I think that in four or five of those years, they made a loss uh, before taxes, right? So, I mean, in the long term, you could almost just flip a coin to see if it's going to make a profit this year, which of course makes it very difficult to know if you're paying a good price and all that kind of thing. So, you know, definitely wishing these guys heaps of luck, but I just couldn't really foresee actually in reality a situation where i would buy them maybe if i was making some sort of macro bet on the scrap price or something like that i would buy them in that scenario but it's just not the kind of game that i regularly get up to so it'd be an avoid for me and avoid but with appreciation for the business yeah right well ellen so that is not exactly a ringing endorsement for you of sims metal so let's get to the next company that's on our list and that is number three being race oncology uh, and we've got a bit of context coming from um, from our viewer, Paul, who says they're looking to sell to Big Pharma next year sometime. And uh, he says it's got a great team. In fact, he says one of the smartest teams on the planet. No way of fact checking that one. He says the ground, the drug is groundbreaking. First class, best in class could be, you know, this big prospect and uh, even historic. Now, this is the words of Paul. Junbei, when we look at biotechs, we so often talk about there being some sort of a binary outcome, right? It either goes massive or fades away or requires a whole lot of capital for a very long time. What do you think of race oncology? Look, I think it's probably a little bit early stage for me. Whilst the drugs sound amazing, um, and one thing to be mindful of is that over the last what, however many years investing in the Australian market, we have a lot of biotech or Metec coming through the ranks over the years, and all of them uh, look very promising. <laughs> and uh, you, however, the usually the hit rate of when the drugs does go from uh, development clinical study phase into the full commercial phase, um, you know, the, the successful story had been very rare. Uh, we do have a few large ones like CSL and ResMed and Cochlear and the like, but um, many of them do fail. 
Um, so this one looks very promising, but however, seems like it's in that phase two, phase three stage. Um, normally investing in biotech, um, unless you have very strong uh, insight knowledge of uh, intimate knowledge of you know what this particular drug is and um, you know really understand what it is, um, you, you tend to avoid when that study outcome comes through because that's when you know it's binary because um, either. Um, the, sometimes the clinical study was not designed properly or sometimes it's something else. So there's normally a very um, high risk of, um, you know, of, of share price disruption based on those. Um, and also once you get approved, there's the issues of, you know, how do you sell it? How do you, who do you partner with? Do you need to invest in the sales team or do you just sell half of your business for someone else to commercialize it for you? So there's a lot of hurdles still need to be, uh, do need to be passed before you actually get to uh, selling anything so um you know it, it's a bit early stage for me and it's wait and watch but whilst product looks amazing um that oncology space is um expanding uh enormously um you know study and innovation in that space is very fast so um you know so just uh, i think i would just watch it for now uh, avoid for me for now okay now what do you make of race oncology uh claude well i agree with everything uh just said and I'd just like to add to try and, uh, I guess, zoom in on this particular company. Because I am not a biotech expert, when I look at biotechs, which I sometimes do just out of interest, I tend to try and actually just look at who are the knowledgeable and um, smart investors that actually might have the means to understand the risks and rewards of a biotech better than I do. So I agree with what Junmei said. This is too early stage for me. I wouldn't invest in it. However, the task is for me to make a comment on it. So what I've actually done is had a look at, uh, you know, who's been investing, who's doing this, um, who's running it. And this one does look like one of the higher quality biotechs to me. Um, I noticed that uh, David Williams from Kidder Williams uh, participated in a recent play placement. Now, I'm sure that's part of a diversified strategy where he makes a whole bunch of different bets and stuff. But obviously... You know, he is one of the investors that I admire um, for their skill. So, uh, yeah, look, I guess it's probably one of the better ones. But for me, for this early stage kind of stuff, let me just say of the enthusiasm that the questioner has for this company, like that, that's great. And you have to remember that every single hopeful biotech out there also has a shareholders that love that enthusiasm and have that hope as well. And most of them statistically, you know, don't don't work out so well at least when they're very early stage so yeah i'd give it a miss but you know i could see this one being one of the better ones um and perhaps you know there are experts out there in the science that do have a better idea than i do yeah and and you have to i mean valuing a biotech company is is not necessarily for the layman you know so so there's skill that comes around that as well so we'll we'll thank you for your question paul and we love your enthusiasm we hope you keep Keep sending them in. Let's get to the next one on our list. Yep, we're at number four. This is for Raj. Chalice Mining, CHN is the ticker code. Now he writes, the share price has done a lot in the last year. Not sure why, but it has dropped significantly from highs, less than other gold stocks. So again, it sees uh, people trying to make sense of some of the share price moves. Um, look, it is still in the exploratory phase. It, uh, you know, still, well, last I checked, was raising money to accelerate um, exploration activities at its Jilamar mines. Jumei, we've talked about this before. You know, you know, you, your investment, your style of investing is that you you want to be in the names that are already producing. Is is there anything to like about Chalice? 
Actually, we do like this one as well. I, I agree. Normally, I stay with the larger ones, the Northern Star and the others. Um, but this one, actually, we do like. We, we think they've got a really good resource and we think they've got enough capital uh, to really expand that. So what that does to this business is that, um, you know, uh, without worry about assuming gold price is going to be flat, so this company will actually grow. So it has something unique about it. Uh, it will have growth in production um, and, um, you know, regardless of what gold price does. So, uh, this, so this one is actually quite nicely positioned. Um, now, uh, of course, it comes down to why share price fell. Uh, it's because you know gold prices uh, has been has been pretty tough. Um, you know, gold price, as you know, doesn't do well um, in between periods. So, you know, gold price does well when the inflation is flying away, or gold price does well when. Um, you know, everyone wor is worried about recession, but somewhere in between is where we are at the moment. Uh, gold price does struggle because, um, you know, we have real uh, economic activity picking up. We don't really need safety haven like uh, gold and, you know, we, we inflation yet to be a problem. So, you know, so in this sort of environment, gold prices does struggle. So any company that um, sort of base selling, you know, base their, uh, uh, their earnings based on selling uh, to the current stock gold price uh, is going to struggle. So that is the key issue of why the share price come off. But like you said, this one actually has done better because it's more company specific reasons. So um, if I'm to hold a gold, I'll put this one on a buy. Um, but, you know, obviously sub subject to what your gold outlook is um, and uh, and together with my other larger um, gold producers um, as they represent good value at this point as well. I love this show because I can still be surprised sometimes. Jimbei, thank you. Claude Walker, Chalice Mining, CHN. Well, I, I guess no surprises for me at this time. There's no way I can add more um, detail than what uh, Jinbei just said. She clearly knows this company better than I. So I'll just I'll just step aside and say, look, I don't I definitely don't do explorers. They're sort of the same thing as biotech explorers to me as well. So it'll be an avoid for me on that basis. Got it. Thank you. Let's go to Mervac. So this is a company that uh, oftentimes our lives touch in some way, shape or form, whether it be through retail, visiting people at their homes or their apartments, even if we don't live in one ourselves. This is for Jess MGR. No context here. So I'll start with you, Bay. What do you make of Mervac, where it sits in the cycle, the housing cycle, the economic recovery and the quality of its assets and the like? Look, Mervac still looks pretty good relative to its other uh, more expensive property trust peers. Uh, so we, I'll put that on a buy simply because part of the earning, big part of earnings offices. So that earning is um, is going to con uh, continue to re uh, reopen as the economy, people return to workplace and the like. And they do hold a lot of premium assets. Um, and the other part of Mervac has been that, uh, uh, you know, apartment, the property um, you know, high-rise property has been very, very tough for many years. Um, and if anything, uh, last 12 months of strength um, we saw in the housing market has been really belonged to the detached housing activity. Um, and the apartment usually lags that cycle. So now we just started seeing improvement in the apartment market. Um, we certainly think the Mervac is going to deliver to that sort of earnings growth. It will grow, earning will grow pretty well and it's not expensive. Um, because of you know that office exposure and the like is certainly much cheaper than the industrial peers, um, and I think this is a very quality asset. Um, also have some sort of M and A uh, sort of tilt to it, um, given the quality of its portfolio. So, so that's a buy a, that's a buy from uh, from Jinbei Lu from Tribeca. What about Mervac for Jess from you, Claude? I'm a little more sanguine about this one. Uh, I do agree that uh, if you're going to bet in the you know the large cap real estate trust this is probably better quality than most of them uh however 
you know, I have a different perspective about the office space situation. Look, it could well be that we return to the office, you know, just as before. And it's hard for me to tell if it's my personal bias that I, I think everyone's happier if they work from home and get to rough around their neighborhood uh, rather than go into the city. And it, so it could be my personal bias, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we've actually, this process has actually kicked off a great long period where demand for um, commercial office space stagnates at, at best. I think what we're seeing in the USA already is the most desirable companies to work for, uh, a lot of big tech companies and um, other knowledge worker companies, they are definitely allowing employees to choose their um, choose their work habit a bit more. Now, it's going to be normal to still perhaps come into the office, but if you've only got um, people coming in three days a week even, and unless everyone needs their separate um, office space, then I think that overall the net effect is you can actually probably move to a smaller office and, and save some money. On top of that, I think it's going to become more, more emphasis on the fact that offices should be about getting together and having the value of um, being around each other, not just coming in so that somebody can look over your shoulder to make sure you're not on Facebook. I mean, first of all, like, like they have software tools for that. And second of all, why are you hiring someone if you seriously think they're going to be on Facebook all day? Um, so look, I don't personally want to make a bet that there's going to be good, strong rebound in, in commercial office space. That said, you know, that that's hardly going to kill it. Like I think it's, uh, you know, a good... Uh, positioning and in in Australia at least we the governments always generally try to make property prices go up so if this is what you're looking for and you want a property trust I guess I'd call it a hold I definitely wouldn't want somebody to you know sell out just because I have a view about office spaces that may or may not be correct but for me I could never call it a buy on that on that basis thank you so that's a hold from you Claude guys we're at the halfway mark take a breath have a sip of water. I'll run our viewers through what we've learned so far. Bay's future fund pick, ProMedicus, high growth, quality name, she says. And they're not always in that high growth area that easy to find here in Australia. Her pick gets the thumbs up from Claude, who of course gave us his pick last week, which was Google. To the companies that have been picked by you, Info Media, it's a hold from both of my guests. Jumbe says it's not expensive, good way to play the reopening. Claude is really, you know, if he had some money, I have a feeling he might be buying this one. He thinks that you could potentially get it a bit cheaper. It's a hold for him, global scale, recurring revenue, things that he likes. Sims, unfortunately, or not, but both of my guests, say that it is not a high quality company. They would not be investing in Sims Metal SGM for Ellen. Uh, for Paul, Race Oncology, again, Claude just says he doesn't know enough about biotechs. This one, the drug to invest in it, that means that he would have to give it a miss. But he has a feeling, uh, just by some of the research that he's done, that it might be one of the better biotechs out there. It's an avoid for June Bay. Again, it's very early stage for her. All of these drugs look very promising at the beginning. It's an avoid when a lot of these studies are still being done and the results coming through because it's very volatile. And from there, commercialization becomes the next challenge. So it's just not her cup of tea. Chalice Mining, this is a buy. 
for Jumbe. Yes, she likes the, the bigger gold miners, but she says this one is quality, it's unique, and it will see growth in production. So she would buy this to hold alongside uh, some of the bigger names that she has in the gold space, although you do need to be mindful of price and your view on price going forward. And uh, look, Claude doesn't do explorers. He's going to avoid chalice mining. He's going to hold Mervac because it is better quality than a lot of those other property plays out there. The government, you just heard him say, usually does its best to maintain high property prices in Australia. But for him, he's questioning the whole structural shift that may happen in terms of work or hybrid work at the office. Jumbe, well, I think I can say she's probably going to go back into the office when she's allowed. It's a buy for her. It's not expensive in the property space. It still looks pretty good. She thinks offices will come back to life and that the earnings will grow for Mervac. So that was a really good half hour. Um, when we say buy, is it going in the portfolio, all of that, this is about the Osbiz Fantasy portfolio. We've been tracking it since July the 1st last year. Thanks to our partner at NabTrade, two companies go in. If they both get a buy from the guests on the day, I, it's a very convoluted way of saying it. It's got to get two buys to go into the portfolio, and there it remains until it gets a, uh, a sell. Okay, let's get to the one-week return, just sort of flatlining it so far this week. One month, we're down about 1%. Full year to date, so July 1st, 2021, up just over 4%. Since the inception though, that July 1st, 2020 that I referenced earlier on, we're up just shy of 41%. Yesterday, we added HT&E, we added Silk Laser Australia, Bega Cheese has been added recently, Accent and Calyx, we've removed Nick Scali, A2 Milk, New Hope, and medical developments if you'd like to look at that list and keep us honest, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. All right, it's a Friday. Let's crack on with it, shall we? My stomach is grumbling. Let's get to Seiko's group, S-E-S -E for Alex. I'm going to start with you, Claude. Well, so Seiko's group is actually probably my second favorite company on our, on our list today. Uh, it's one I've owned in the past. Now, what they do is they manufacture uh, plastic bags and uh, resin for plastic bags. Yeah. But where they're where they're really uh their growth engine and the reason i like them has been that for many years they've been working on uh commercializing and and rolling out uh you know resin that's by or compostable sorry uh so this can make compostable plastic bags now compostable plastic bags are not um a solution to the fact that we use way too much single-use plas uh, plastics which is um you know clogging up our entire ecosystem and now getting into our bodies this is not a solution, but it is better than uh, the, you know, the current just do anything with plastic that never goes away ever. And they got over 500% growth in that segment in the last year. So I think that's actually, that's at an inflection point. On top of that, um, as you can imagine with a manufacturer, this is a business that has a fair bit of operating leverage. So, you know, they have to invest in a factory and stuff like that. But then as they got, get more demand across that same factory base, um, they can get their profits can go up quite quickly, and importantly, they have just crossed the uh, profitability inflection point. So they've made a uh, their first profit in the most recent year. So that makes them a de-risk company to a degree, which can now start potentially attracting a greater variety of shareholders. So people that 
more favor profitable companies might start to get interested in it and you never know it, it could actually just be the precursor to it become even a dividend playing company and actually just go up and up the quality stakes there so that i like about it now but however i did sell it slightly above current prices and i bought it i think 16 cents and sold it above 30 right and the reason is i was trying to invest to get that inflection point which then did occur now based on its profits that it has just recorded is actually quite expensive just wanted to point out for um anyone sort of doing a little bit of valuation work at home you have to be careful because the net profit for this company benefited from the fact that when a company turns into a profitable company it now gets to realize the value of its tax losses beforehand so then it records a tax gain of in this case i think two or three million what you need to do is look at the profit before tax which was just about five hundred thousand, right so even though it's going to be higher than that in the next year based on their current run rate i think still it really is only just profitable so it's still there's still a lot of risk in it. it does need to continue to grow its profits quite a lot to justify its current price i'd say it probably will do that but there's no longer that obvious thesis of why i would make money if i bought shares right now so for me i guess i'd call it a hold yeah i i like this i mean i remember interviewing uh, richard tagoni who is the exec chair just around those results so interesting to have that valuation conversation brought up again, June Bay, because you can like the story, June, can't, yeah, June Bay, you know, I, I think it's easy to say that you like the story of uh, fewer single use plastic bags being out in the world. It's got global scale. It's selling into different markets, but you can't get too hung up on a story as an investor, can you? Uh, that's right, but I must say I do like this story. <laughs> um, I, when I looked into this stock, I absolutely thought uh, this looks very interesting. Um, you know, um, you know, well done, Claw, for finding it before it becomes turned profitable. Um, and um, clearly, that's very early stage now. Just turned its maiden EBITDA, and uh, still going to it's going to double its EBITDA. And uh, you know, by 2023, it's expected to make. Uh, so 22, they will make an EBITDA of over uh, EBIT of over four million dollars. 23 is over 10. Now these number may be a bit overstated because you know when company growing at that early stage of its growth, um, you know analysts just not sure which number to put on. So sometimes can be overstated. But regardless, the revenue momentum is very strong and it's in the in the right place. Um, uh, it's selling to the right um, you know right product and uh, part of the reason for. Um, uh, well, part of, reason, part of reason for you know uh, all these earnings growth is because there's enough demand for their product, and they're just expanding manufacturing capacity, um, like Claw said. So it actually looks really interesting. I, I have to do more work. Um, it does feel like too good to be true, um, and absolutely, they're not paying tax at the moment. All of that, so uh, it's probably not a good idea to look at the PE, so price to earning ratio. You probably want to look. The, uh, look at the uh, EV, which is enterprise value divided by EBIT. Use that multiple better because it is a manufacturing business, so it captures the depreciation as well. So on that multiple, it doesn't look that pricey. So um, you know, it's a hold for me for now. I'm going to do more digging on mm. it. Um, I think it looks uh, looks pretty exciting. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And if you'd like to listen to a couple of interviews with the exec chair, they are on the Osbiz website. But yeah, I remember reporting season, looking into it, and thinking, oh. Oh, good. You know, let's get this going. All right. Uh, let's get on to the list. A company that many people would be very familiar with in many ways. Seek is uh, on the list from Colin. Thanks, Colin. Jimmy, I'll start with you on Seek. 
Yeah, look, seek, I like seek. Um, it's one of my top positions. Um, I like it very much. Um, well, there's a few folds. Um, one is that uh, this business has a cyclical side component to its to its earnings. Um, so earnings now uh, in terms of job market here in Australia is picking up significantly and our economic activity is doing going pretty well. And especially when our economy reopens and all of that, um, this this company will have pretty good earnings growth, um, you know, in the next 12, 18 whatever month um, and aside from just volume growing stronger um, they manage they manage to get some uh, yield growth to, to come through so high prices per ad um, and just given the conditions so hot so strong um, and if you remember the likes of REA or car sales you know all of them have been focused on yield growth and REA has been one of the most successful company in in doing so in Australia so there's a lot of revenue growth opportunity here here in a very premium um, dominating market position the job classifies here in Australia. Now, it also has another component to it. Um, it has a growth vehicle. Now it's splitting out. Um, that company offers very high growth um, in, uh, profile and invests in many, many of the uh, you know, early stage growth companies. Uh, if anything, you know, Seek Management has, has a really strong track record of investing in those companies. Um, and I do back them to be able to do really well on that basis. Um, and the third reason of why I really like this one, because it underperformed the other classified peers. Normally they track pretty closely. This one underperformed. Um, so if anything, this one will catch up very, very quickly. So um, just to push the point, because last time you and I spoke about Seek, it was when it was sold off in one of these you know, volatile periods that the market has gone through. So at 31.97, still a buy for you, Junbei, or would you be holding off to wait for any type of a, you know, a, a pullback or a day of selling on, on the boards? No, I will be buying Seek at the current price. Um, one thing about those companies, when they have underperformed their peers over a period of time, when the sell-off comes, it doesn't sell off as much as the others. So in a way, it's almost defensive against other um, you know, expensive companies relatively. So I see this one more, as more defensive than the others that's performed incredibly well. Thank you. Now, Claude, thoughts on Seek, please, for Colin. Uh, look, I think I agree with much of what Junbei just said. I do agree, certainly, that this is a high-quality business with a high-quality management team. So I guess that means that, you know, in some ways, the discussion is around price. And look, I, look first of all, I think it's good that they reduce their investment in the Zalpin thing. I, I personally think that, you know, the, the more they streamline and simplify um, the, the business of Seek, the more value will probably be realized for shareholders. It has been quite, um, you know, innovative in terms of it, it seeding new businesses and investing elsewhere and stuff. And that and that's fine. And obviously, its founder is a well-known venture capital guy. So, you know, they kind of know what they're doing there. But uh, at the same time, it's the Australian business that has been the cash flow core, the cash flow king. You know, it's almost, it's almost like every government department will advertise a job on Seek even if they already know exactly who's going to get the job from internal to the government because they have some rules around that kind of thing. And having that kind of government anchor your network effect marketplace means that it's maybe impossible to kill your business. So that's that's super resilience there. That's really cool. Um, having said mm -hmm. all that, look, on, on my numbers, it does look quite expensive if you just you know, look at the analyst forecast of EBIT and stuff like there's still a fair bit of growth in this. Obviously, it's a mature business now. So I don't think it's like taking share in any meaningful way. So it's sort of just system growth in the jobs market. Look, mm -hmm. we're probably going to go into a strong period um, if what the macro guys are saying are true. So 
that's probably positive. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to say sell of a, of a high-quality business like this, but it's probably – it's not obvious to me where the opportunity is to buy it right now okay. either. So, I think I'm going to have to go with hold. Got it. Let's oh, get yeah, on to I'm the next. Yeah, you're a bit reluctant, but it's a hold. Horizon Oil for Shane. He says it's generating peak um, free cash flow, excuse me, which is used to pay off debt. Produces at only $12 a barrel. Recent return to capital to shareholder. Uh, what do you think about Horizon Oil, Claude? I, look, I, obviously it's out of my wheelhouse and I suspect um, Jim Bay will have something uh, more specific to the company to say about it. But, you know, basically for me at the at the moment, it looks like there's a lot of um, excitement in the resources, oil and gas space. And as somebody who doesn't spend a lot of time trying to make money mm-hmm. out of, um, you know, macro, for me as an observer, it looks to me like probably with all of these plays, a lot of people might have missed the good bit. Um, and you don't want to get in super late to um, a big sort of like cyclical mm-hmm. um, play on on the oil prices and stuff like that. So you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it. It's just too high risk for me. I don't have any advantage in the market personally, and I'm not convinced that uh, most people do either. But clearly, like just trend following in this space can make you money. So yep. you know, I wouldn't poo poo the idea, but it's definitely not for me. Got it. Thank you. Jimbe, what do you make of Horizon Oil HZN? Uh, look, my view is that I, I do like to stick with the larger players uh, instead of, uh, um, you know, little Horizon Oil um, space. Um, the, the main reason being that, uh, um, you know, it is uh, um, the current oil price is making a lot of money. But before that, it was um, stuck in the range for a very, very long time. So um, it's more lack scale uh, compared to the largest of you know, so say uh, oil search or others. Um, and uh, with the current high oil prices, all of them uh, are doing very, very well. Um, and all of them have the ability to pay back capital and making lots of free cash flow for the time being. Um, and what's most important about investing in those businesses is that um, you've got to have a view of where the oil price is going, same as the gold company, you know, where the gold price is going. Um, now, oil price is looking pretty strong at the moment. A lot of people are talking to $100 oil and all of that. Um, and also, heading into the winter um, in China and the winter in Europe, um, there seems to be a lot of shortages around gas, natural gas and um, heating oil and all of that. So it is putting a lot of pressure um, you know, in on that front. So um, the whole sector has done very well. Um, and um, you know, if anything, I think there might even be further tightness once we start um, once we start having the, you know, airline, the jet fuel demand coming through as well, because, you know, I don't know about you, but I'll be, you know, ready to book my flight out uh, once we're allowed to do so. So there's a lot of demand for those oil and then there hasn't been enough investment into the oil space. So for the time being, um, these oil companies will continue to reap pretty good, uh, pretty good cash rewards. Um, but it's not something you want to hold for a long time because, you know, ultimately oil, fossil fuel is something that will be phased out. There will be renewables and others. But for the time being, um, the prices will stay high for some time. Got it. To answer your question, Jumei, I'm with you. I'm already trolling, <laughs> uh, you know, the travel websites to see what's going to happen next. Anyhow, let's get to number nine on our list, Challenger Financial, CGF for Scott Junebay. Look, the brokers are pretty mixed on this one. Uh, looks as if it's just pretty neutral uh, sentiment toward the company. How about you? 
I'd say I'm pretty neutral as well because it's not exactly cheap and it's not exactly that exciting. It does benefit from a rising share market. So um, its funds under management will continue to grow and it gets a cut of it. So, you know, earning will continue to grow when the share market does well. Um, it has a very, uh, I would say the best business with it. It's, uh, it's poor is actually the Vedante business, which is a, a distribution business for fund managers. Um, and that's been an incredibly successful company. And now this discussion that potentially um, challenger could um, you know want to sell that asset now um, that will mean more buyback uh, or you know special dividend for a challenger shareholder so when that announcement does get made it will be pretty uh, you know pretty positive um, for the yield for the income uh, oriented investors um, otherwise it's not something I feel you know I, I want to rush out to buy it um, you know, and, and they also think about when you, they do sell the Pedante business, there's a lot of other companies can benefit. There's so many, um, you know, likes of Pinnacle can bid for it. There's uh, likes of many others can bid for that business. And then the translating earnings will be more significant for those companies. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not super excited about it. It's a neutral for me. Got it. Thank you. How about you, uh, Claude? I can't imagine that this really gets your juices going. Not exciting enough for me. Like, I don't think it's going to make any difference to my life if I buy and hold this stock, or has any potential to. Um, having said that, you know, for it might be a, it might, like I think it's a, it's a pretty decent, I guess, father-in-law stock or whatever because it pays about a three point three percent dividend. Now, analysts are expecting earnings to be like pretty flat, and you know, the pricing I would say is sort of according to that. You know, I think that it's probably best viewed as a almost blue chip or a blue chip dividend stock and 3.3%, I guess everyone can decide if that's enough of a yield. Um, but what I would say is this, is that, um, look, when you when you uh, invest in dividend stocks, you definitely want dividend stocks that are growing, even if the growth is low. And at a zoomed out level, these guys, their life business, that business segment, that's been growing like quite a lot over the years. And I think it has something to do with demographics um, as as the uh, baby boomer generation moves into the retirement, I suspect that that sort of longer term tailwind still has a way to play out for Challenger. So yeah, all in all, definitely I uh, think it's a good dividend stock that I'd consider if I was a risk averse investor with a diversified dividend portfolio, but that's not really me. So, you know, I guess I'd call it a hold at best. Thank you. Let's get to the last one on the list. And that is Brainchip, B-R-N from Phil. Last time I was running this show and Brainchip came up, I got in a lot of trouble for, uh, for, for apparently giving it too short a time to be discussed. But that, of course, will be dictated by you guys. Claude, is Brainchip one of those companies that you can get really excited about? Of course, it's AI. And it is going to apparently, according to the company, really change the way in which uh, you know, computers are worked and data is processed. What do you think? I mean, so I wrote an article about this uh, quite a while ago now when like when it sort of first got hyped up and become a sort of ridiculous meme stock and um, you know the share price is lower since then and that must have been a year or more ago so I guess that um, the company's running out of uh, new people to throw their money in the well I guess um, so what this company does is uh, raise capital from the market to you know, develop this thing, uh, like you said, that was it's supposed to be revolutionary, but it doesn't it doesn't make money or anything. And I, you know, you can't go out there and buy their product or anything and check it out and see if it's revolutionary yourself. 
Now that really sits in contrast with a lot of the other companies that I would still classify as high risk who actually have a product that you can jump, jump on and see and be like, ask yourself, hey, do I think this is going to grow? Is this a great product? Some of those companies are listed and they make a loss, but they've got growing revenue and you can check it out yourself. Braintrip's not like that. In fact, I don't think that most of the shareholders even understand what what all this computer chip talk is, like the science of it. Like, have I gone crazy? And like, why is it that like I can't understand any of it in any proper way, yet people that work in, you know, accounting, law, trades and all this sort of stuff feel that they can call it and say, this is a really great product that's going to revolutionize the world. I mean, I don't think that, that the shareholders probably want you to give more time to me to talk about brain chip because I've got way more where all this came from. First of all, just look at the market cap and look at the amount of money they've spent on R&D to create that value of the market cap. I mean, it's phenomenal. These other big companies that are working in computer chips and stuff, you know, they spend absolute hundreds of millions and stuff. And I think these guys are about four and five, you know, there's way less than that on R&D. A few years ago, it was like four million a year or something like that. But, you know, it might have gone up from there because they've managed to raise more capital because their share price goes up. I also would check what the CEO's been doing. I, I think I saw a few um, change of director's interest notice there where it looks like he was disposing of shares there. So, you know, uh, that's not generally the sign I look for uh, to be super bullish about a stock. So, you know, it's a hard sell from me. Got it. Jim Bay, I mean, do you risk missing out on the next big thing in, you know, quantum computing space and, in, in, you know, AI and all of these things that, again, it sounds good, especially when there's a semiconductor shortage on, or do you just sit back in your view, watch, wait, see what happens in the long term? Uh, I would say that for this one, definitely watch and wait. Uh, it got pretty hot because everyone was talking about it, become one of the most popular stock that was traded by retail investors. Um, but the company, like Claude said, the company doesn't make money. Um, and, you know, one of the thing about um, investing early stage business is that you do want to see um, path to commercialization, you know, whether there will be uh, you partnering with uh, certain places and you know whether there will be potential interest from partnership and that will take you to the next level. So, you know, before you get there, it's just a little bit too speculative. Um, while it sounds great in the you know neural computing space, um, you know, it is where the future is. Um, but like Paul said, lots of people are throwing money at that space and we're not sure who's going to be the ultimate winner. Um, it's good that they invest in this space, but you need to watch to see more uh, deals, contracts, commercialization path um, before you should really put any money in it. Yeah, because we're glad that people are doing this type of work to move technology forward, but you just don't necessarily feel the impetus to put your money into that story at this time. Guys, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed that show. As always, really appreciate your insights, as I'm sure our viewers do as well. It's pretty much the weekend. We do hope you have a good one. Thank you, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and June Bay from Tribeca Investment Partners. Thank you. Have a great Thanks. weekend. Thank you. I'll just quickly sum up what we, excuse me, talked about in that last half hour. So number six on the list was Safehouse Group, and this is, Claude's second favorite stock that we were discussing today because it's looking to solve a real problem in the world. It's been growing. In fact, it's been growing in a good way. It's, um, yeah, he, he sees a lot to like about it. It is just a bit of a hold for him right now because you've missed that big leg up, which, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, may still come to fruition, but it's just a bit expensive for him right now. Junbei calls it a hold. She's interested. She says it's very interesting. A uh, bit of work to do on valuation, so she's going to continue to look at that one going forward, but can't endorse it with a buy today on that. Seek, it's a hold for Claude. He says it is high quality management team, but for him, it's a bit too expensive. Not so for Junbei. She would be buying at today's level, one of the top companies in Australia. Just be aware, earnings can be a bit cyclical, but right now it is a buy. Horizon Oil, Junbei will stick with the big boys in town. It's an avoid for Claude. He doesn't have an edge in that one, and it is cyclical as well. Challenger, it's just a bit lackluster for both of my guests. It's not exciting. It's not exactly cheap in Junbei's view, so it's a hold for her and a hold for Claude as well. Perhaps a father-in-law stock. Brainship, you just heard them talking about it. Meme stock, in Claude's view, not a place you put your money. Too risky, too specky for Junbei Lu from Tribeca as well. Thank you for watching or listening, however you choose to consume this program. If you'd like us to comment on a stock and get some insights from our expert guests, you can email us at the call at ausbiz.com.au. We're always on Twitter constantly. We're at TV. You can do it that way as well. Sometimes it does take a couple days, maybe even a week or two for us to get to all of these requests. If you send it on the day, I can tell you it's very unlikely that it will happen through that Twitter universe but thank you keep doing it regardless if you'd like to check out that portfolio it's at the bottom of your screen